Hello and welcome to another episode of our podcast. I know it's been a while, but uh, we've had a pandemic and uh, I guess uh, that made us a little busy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we had to focus on some other things. Today we're actually going to talk about some uh, nice topics, coffee processing. And today I have with me Jamie Jungkind. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me who you are? For sure. Yeah, so um, I work at Nordic Approach and... Uh, part of uh, the buy te buying team there and um, uh, also managing a lot of the sales for Nordic for Europe. So uh, it's, uh, I don't know, I can't say it enough, but it's just a beautiful industry to be in, like such a um, cool bunch of people, like yeah. real people that you're working with. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But you're, you're not Norwegian. I'm not Norwegian, <laughs> no. <laughs> My Norwegian sucks. <laughs> So, uh, no, four years in, and my Spanish is much better than uh, than my Norwegian. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I moved here four years ago and um, uh, from the Netherlands, where I used to uh, run a restaurant and uh, a coffee roastery yeah. eventually. Yeah. Okay. That's how I got into uh, Nordic. <laughs> Which is a good thing. <clears throat> I know you're uh, kind of uh, famous about... Uh, at least in this building, because <laughs> we are in the same building. Uh, our roastery is in the first floor. We have uh, our office in the second, and Nordic Approach is in the third and fourth floor. Mm -hmm. uh, Nordic Approach is, uh, can you tell what, because we have a lot of listeners who doesn't know what it is. So. Yeah, for sure, I can. Uh, so um, we're an importer, um, highly focused on specialty coffee, the higher range specialty coffee. Um, but not, not only that, making sure that every, every single lot we have is completely traceable as far as is possible. Um, and we always try to yeah, push the limit in what is possible with traceability, making sure that we work more and more towards the farm gate price uh, uh, and not just the FOB, which is a little bit um, uh, debatable. Um, yeah, and in general, just... Uh, yeah, focus on high quality, making sure that that we work with farmers that not necessarily are already rock stars or ha have this rock star mentality or whatever it is, but just genuine people that we can make um, a long-term relationship with. Yeah. yeah, invest in the long term. And then you sell those coffees that you import to roasters around Europe or all, all around the world. Yeah. So from our warehouse in Belgium, we sell coffee to. Asia, Japan, uh, the US, uh, so anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. But our, our main market is, is still Europe. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And uh, that's what kind of why, why I brought you here, because as I said, you're famous in this house for loving natural processed coffees. For sure. Or, yeah. or funky coffees, as mm. you might call it. Yes. Which is going to be the topic of the day. Uh, but before we kind of dig into that, um, it's not, even in, with coffee people, some of these terms can be quite confusing. Mm -hmm. uh, I know I am a little confused myself, so I thought we could just go through all the processes or kind of the main processes uh, before we start talking about this crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I want to talk about this crazy stuff is because I get more and more questions about them, what my opinion is about them. Um, and uh, we do see a lot more of these kind of strange coffees in the market. So 
we can try to kind of explain people a little bit what to expect and what they are, mm -hmm. um, hopefully. <laughs> but let's get started with, a, I guess, a traditional uh, coffee would be a natural, mm -hmm. um, especially if you go to Brazil or Ethiopia, mm -hmm. uh, you would see a natural processed coffee and you buy quite a lot of that. Can you just ex quickly explain what that is? So for us, a natural coffee, the reason why we buy from Brazil is because we found that it's First of all, it's completely different than naturals from Ethiopia or less of that funk and more of the just giving it a little bit more character to Brazil instead of just having that naughty washed profile that you might know or pop natural. Um, uh, for us, it, yeah, it needs a little character. It needs more fruit, uh, more depth. And, that, and we found in our experience anyway that, that uh, the natural Brazils have that a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, and to explain what a natural is. If you go to a farm, like uh, the, the most basic farms with very little infrastructure, very often you will see the farmer drying coffee cherries on the ground, mm -hmm. uh, which it's because you don't really need any resources. You just pick the coffee cherry, put it on the ground and dry it in the sun. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, if you put it on dirt, it's going to taste dirty. If yeah. you put it on the patio, it might taste dirty depending on the patio. Uh, if you put them in thick layers, you might get mold. Mm -hmm. It's a fruit, so, you know, oh, yeah. if but you're tr it, trying yeah. to dry fruit, it can be a little risky. Mm -hmm. But it, yeah. yeah, sorry. So, the, uh, but um, that that's sort of like the, the base, I would say. But yeah. then we've also <clears> seen in our experience that uh, you can have all your uh, preconceptions or your uh, what you think uh, a natural should be or when you see these coffees being dried on the, on the patio or uh, on the concrete or just dirt. And you think this is never going to be anything. And then you cop it and you're like, wow, yeah, this is actually already an 86 or an 86.5 or whatever. So the potential is there. Um, so that's generally what we, what we kind of want to look for, because then uh, in the long term, with some little bit more uh, investment, uh, you can make sure that that coffee goes up to a standard 86 or 87 every year instead of having maybe like a down year of 82 to 86 yeah. because the production is just not handled very well or... Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can produce uh, very consistent coffees with naturals as well. It's probably a little bit more... Uh, uh, you would need a lot more know-how, I think, to mm. do it. And um, of course, not every natural is dried on the ground. You can dry it on race beds in drying machines, like mm. big uh, dr drum dryers. Um, but it, it's basically when you just dry the whole coffee cherry and... and inside you have the two coffee beans that you take out uh, mm -hmm. before roasting, of course. And um, I think, you know, in let's just talk about the traditional terms first. Mm -hmm. in, in general, in the old days, uh, one would describe a natural as being a little bit more fruity. Mm -hmm. And mainly because it ferments. You know, the coffee cherry, when it's lying in the sun, it ferments. Mm -hmm. And uh, then you get flavor from ferment. Um, and uh, I think, you know, the, the risk of uh, having inconsistencies is there. So I think that's probably why in the old days people started washing coffee, which is kind of the other traditional process mm -hmm. where you would de-skin uh, the cherry and out comes the two beans with mucilage on and then you kind of ferment the, the, the coffee beans with still with the mucilage on mm -hmm. overnight in a tank and then you wash it with water afterwards so the mucilage kind of it's removed from the beans and then it dried in the sun. And of course, this is easier to dry. There's less to dry. Mm -hmm. So um, 
I think that's why a lot of farmers do it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, uh, it's easier to see as well. Everything about it is easier. You can see whether the parchment is breaking apart, whether you're drying too hard, too yeah. fast, or maybe you need to cover it. And with a natural, it's super hard. You like, you have your uh, estimate of how long it should take to dry, but you can't see the inside. So yeah. it's, it's much more difficult. Yeah. So that's probably why, <coughs> you know, up until recently, Cup of Excellence, which is a coffee auction for mm-hmm. coffee farmers or a competition, they only accepted washed coffees before because they only regarded that as being the highest quality. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, today in a modern world, we, there is a lot of people who really appreciate even bad naturals, but also very good naturals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, you can make good naturals. And then you have some in between, which in Brazil is called pulp natural. You have honey. Mm-hmm. It's more or less the same, I guess, where you de-skin the, yeah. the cherry and uh, you dry it without fermenting or washing. Mm-hmm. So there's still mucilage on. Um, and then maybe you could uh, talk about anaerobic because that's a term that has been... Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit... I mean, uh, when we were uh, naming our coffees, there's always been a little bit of a debate because anaerobic comes the question of are you going to um, do what most people think is an anaerobic, so they have a sort of concept to mind, uh, or are you going to choose the exact technical description? Because anaerobic, like in a fermentation, usually it's the definition is anaerobic. So yeah. anaerobic fermentation is kind of saying it double. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so in this case, an anaerobic, what I think most of the industry sees it as anaerobic and how we describe it is to make sure, first of all, that... Um, when the producer has the capability or the, the machinery necessary to make an oxygen uh, poor environment for the coffee to ferment in, and whether that is in, in uh, plastic bags or tanks you see often, or um, it's just making sure that you have a sort of controlled environment mm. uh, as much as possible and then uh, remove as much of the oxygen as possible. But of course, in the there's oxygen in the water first and that has to be pushed out or if you're not using water then you have to wait until the yeast so the the the, the cherry will be breaking down of course in the in the in the beginning and then the yeast and the bacteria will cause an enzymatic uh, uh, reaction and this will uh, pu- uh, uh, produce gas as a byproduct carbon dioxide and this is pushing the oxygen out so if you have a, um, a airtight container uh, what you would generally want to do is making sure that there's a one-way valve or something or something similar so that it pushes the air out and um, fills the barrel with carbon dioxide and therefore yeah. creating an anaerobic environment yeah yeah i've seen uh, lots of versions of this yeah <laughs> <laughs> lots of versions Pla- as they say plastic bags barrels mm-hmm. uh, some people use steel tanks mm-hmm. um probably uh, inspired by wine industry, mm-hmm. where you do carbonic maceration. Uh, I know Sasa Sestik, the world champion, mm-hmm. barista, he's kind of created this carbonic maceration method where he introduces carbon dioxide into the barrel uh, when the coffee chairs are put in there and it kind of sits there for a while and mm-hmm. ferments. I have a friend who tried uh, to do the same coffee in both ways, like with introducing the gas and without. Mm-hmm. And uh, he didn't really find any big difference because both of the coffees came out very fruity. Yeah. 
So whether or not you actually need the gas, I'm not sure because, as you say, the the bacteria and yeast will take care of that mm -hmm. eventually anyway. Yeah. So then you will start out with a aerobic environment and end up in an anaerobic environment. Yeah. But do you like? Here comes the question: Are you like how how are you measuring that? Are you like because m most of the time this is an estimate, and of course when you pop the barrel and the barrel shoots up because there's so much gas, you would, you might think that. It's completely oxygen. The oxygen is completely gone, but maybe there's still some left. Probably there's still left within the beans and yeah, separate like in between the beans. So it's kind of like making compost. I don't remember the exact number, but um, there is a number mm -hmm. where um, you have a switch from growing aerobic or mainly aerobic mm -hmm. organisms to anaerobic, and that's when you have reduced oxygen environment. Yeah. I don't remember exactly the parts per million you need of oxygen in the environment, but there is actually a definition of that. Aye. And uh, I know Lucia Solis, she, ha she has a podcast as well. She's talking a lot about fermentation. Mm -hmm. She's a fermentation specialist, and she is very much into defining this more proper because in the right. coffee world, we are not very good at defining anything. Mm -hmm. We just take any kind of exactly. fashion words and use it. Mm -hmm. I've actually seen aerobic fermentation on bags as well. What the hell does that yeah. mean? Fermentation is anaerobic. It's always <laughs> aerobic. Yeah. So it's, but that's the tricky thing. Like, um, and I think, I don't think it's necessarily. I also uh, listen to her po podcasts. They're amazing. She has so much knowledge. So it's always interesting to to listen to. But, um, I mean, you can't always wait until the perfect definition is there people are going to use it if, whether it's slang or not and then it is going to be widely accepted and i think it's more important to make sure that there's a, a common knowledge of what it actually is yeah. the term that we are using even though it might not correlate perfectly yeah uh, because if you sorry if you um with food as well if you say you're fermenting food Sometimes it might not, uh, according to the scientific um, uh, explanation, it is not really fermenting. But then, yeah, yeah where do you stop this? It's like I think it's we can have a lesson with cooking there as well. We, we don't have to define it extremely narrowly. Maybe not now yet when there when it's still um, in the starting phase, I think it's very much still in the starting phase. People are just finding out how to measure stuff and uh, uh, putting data to it. And yeah. So, yeah. What's probably more important is that <coughs> the industry is uh, agreeing on terms, you know? Because, mm -hmm. uh, for instance, my wife, she can't stand drinking anything that's even slightly mm -hmm. uh, flavored by ferment. So. Yeah. She learned from the best. <laughs> if, if she uh, <laughs> sees the word anaerobic on something, she will stay away, mm. you know? But uh, she is drinking a lot of fermented coffees. It's just not kind of fermented long enough so you get a lot of flavor from the fermentation. Mm. So um, maybe maceration would be a good thing to describe where you actually have the cherries sitting around for a while before mm -hmm. you... I, I don't know, but um, I, th I do think we actually need to have more uh, specific terms in the industry. Mm -hmm. But as you said, it's it's so new, so it, it yeah. we're not even there yet, you know. But I think this is like in every industry, you know, you you start if it's so new, people are ex still experimenting. They don't have a clue what they're doing, um, but they're excited. They want to make this aerobic, and it yeah. sells. Yeah. It's also important for farmers. Um, 
so in the beginning, I think it's 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 okay to have a general um, term for it, as long as the goal is always to define it uh, once you start um, making um, like more recipe-driven uh, coffee. So mm. if you have a defined recipe, then I think it's important to, if it truly uh, differentiates from all the different processes that is already there, to to find a new term for that. Yeah. Uh, Cool. So <clears throat> let's dig into. Can you explain a little bit uh, what uh, these anaerobic coffees taste like? Because you've tasted quite a few, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's it's so. Uh, for me, it's quite. I mean, it, it is easy and difficult at the same time to describe them. Like you have this barnyard. Uh, some people <laughs> describe it as pukey, or uh, I've people. I have a lot of people. Uh, calling me up to buy uh, baby diaper uh, coffees. And uh, and I, I understand all of that. And weirdly enough, it is a sort of a satisfying taste, which everyone who is not in coffee has ever tasted these things now and uh, is listening might think, like, that's completely crazy. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I, f I think uh, you have these... You're starting to see a lot of these anaerobics who are very well precisely um i don't know cleanly processed almost where you have a very specific uh, spices a lot of spices usually like brown spice or cinnamon or uh together with the over fermented um blueberry uh, juice or something uh, which you might get from lacto fermented uh, vegetables or or uh, fruit sorry and then um and you have the other ones who are just completely wild and uh just crazy like uh, bombastic uh, as if you had uh, as if you're in your home and you had uh, f 30 different fruit types left over and you just put them in a jar and uh, and see what happens yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah you might like, you might think that um, that experiment uh, usually fails and uh, sometimes it uh, brings a gem which is the case uh, in my my opinion, yeah, I, I I you know I've tasted quite a few as well, and to be honest, I whether I like it or not is a different discussion. We're going to get into that as well, but um, mm -hmm. a lot of times I feel like uh, it can taste like uh, almost olive, you know, like the, when you're drinking the water of a glass with olives, mm -hmm. or uh, <laughs> it can taste really boozy, like uh, whiskey or rum. Mm -hmm. um, you can also get this kind of just pure rotten stuff mm -hmm. like baby diaper or yeah um and then i've also tasted like really like peachy floral very clean mm -hmm. kind of ferment flavors it's definitely a ferment flavor but it can also be you know in a nice way where it's not overpowering it's just there and mm -hmm. and um makes the coffee more elegant and a good example is uh Datera. i was in a farm called Datera in brazil mm -hmm. it's a huge farm they have a lot of resources. It's owned by a wealthy family. Mm -hmm. And um, they do a lot of research on the farm. And they have been doing research with microorganisms and fermentations. And they had a steel tank where they could control temperature, I think. And also, the, of course, adding organisms if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. and, and the um, pH. And yeah. Uh, and uh, one of their kind of anaerobic processes, I'm not 100% familiar with how they did it. Uh -huh. But one of those coffees were actually quite nice mm -hmm. um, and made their coffee more interesting because 
let's be honest about it, they have not the highest altitude in Brazil, and mm -hmm. and I think the majority of their coffees are you know sweet and quite generic in flavor, mm -hmm. although they do have some very nice coffees as well. Uh, but the kind of majority of their coffee is quite, you know, it, mm -hmm. it's coffee flavor. So nah. when they can process something like this with pre precision, mm -hmm. um, it can be interesting, I think. Yeah. Odd. For me, like, especially when I just started uh, looking into the fermentation thing, it's like, it was the most interesting f part for me was not necessarily of course as a coffee lover i love the the the, the crazy int intense or like super clean uh, really fermented uh, uh clean peachy kind of flavors that you described but for me as a buyer it's also super interesting to see that there's a value to this taste which uh, which can be quite easily added which kind of sounds cheap or like a cheat or something but um where you process a coffee, uh, normally it would be washed in the scores in 81 or 82, or maybe like a 79 doesn't even fit in commercial uh, specialty. And um, now you create an anaerobic and suddenly it's an 85 or an 84, maybe even an 86. I think there's a lot of value in that because you get a better premium for it. Mm. And that's where I think like I, uh, well, I d to say I don't believe that's a, that's a strong word. I mean, I uh, like the, the competitions are amazing. You know, you have these like crazy uh, five kilo, ten kilo batches, but that's nice for the ones who win, yeah. for the producers. But anyone else uh, is a waste of time, basically. Yeah. Um, besides, maybe doing some experimentation, having data on what you're doing, but uh, the real benefit for the producer is coming when you can do a batch of 50 or 100 bags anaerobic and you give them a recipe or you work out a recipe with them that they can easily uh, make on that scale and then suddenly they're the so they still have all the specialty laws that everyone wants to buy and uh, the whatever 40 50 percent maybe hopefully of their uh, harvest that uh, that uh, qualifies for a high specialty but then they can also, what is usually left over, suddenly create a better product out of it mm. and create more value. And whether that, it, like, and then the taste thing in in this sense, like, I uh, of course, the taste for me is important, but the tasting in that sense is less important to me because, um, like, the Middle East, for example, they they kill for these uh, coffees. They they find it amazing, even if it's super funky. So there, whether we like it or not, it's. There's a market for it, and it, there is a benefit for the producer. Mm. I think, yeah. So, as long like especially since we're living and we're always debating about this uh, more money to the producer, and we also have we shouldn't uh, lose track of what is really important to the producer, and that is money, because the guy yeah. has to uh, um, uh, spend money on uh, his children's education yeah. and uh, getting food to the table. So that's the most important thing. And second comes flavor. And of course, I hope that the producer is super passionate and makes crazy uh, experiments and is excited for it, which a lot of them are. I have two uh, good examples, kind of contradicting uh, what you're saying, but mm -hmm. also confirming. Mm -hmm. <coughs> One is confirming is Hilberto Barano, who passed away this mm -hmm. year, a, a producer we've been buying coffee from for many years and also Nordic Approach. Uh, when I met him, he was mainly producing washed coffees or semi-washed coffees where... 
he would kind of mechanically remove the mucilage from mm -hmm. the from the um, coffee without fermentation. Very clean coffee, is very sweet, and kind of the reason why I went there, because I tasted his coffee through Capo Excellence. I liked it. I wanted to visit him. But then, uh, back then, he produced a tiny little bit of natural coffees, mm -hmm. uh, where he would take, you know, just a coffee, any coffee on his farm, basically, pick ripe cherries and try it natural. And uh, he had one specific buyer who wanted that coffee, and he paid a very, very good price. Mm -hmm. Let's say it was like $5 per pound. And uh, if he didn't dry them as natural, he would probably sell it at $1.50 mm -hmm. market price, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, so when he saw this opportunity, he started making more and more naturals and honey coffees, also because this doesn't have a lot of water on the farm. But uh, then the market really demands these coffees. So he could take you know, a, a coffee that is quite generic on his farm from the lower part of the farm, which he would never be able to sell for a very good price if it was washed, uh, and then sell it for a much higher price just by kind of adding flavor mm -hmm. through process. That's one good example of how you can actually do it. A poor example is, or uh, not a poor example, a good example, but um, uh, I have another farmer that I work with, uh, Moises, in, in, mm -hmm. um, in Honduras. Uh, Honduras, which is very close to Gilberto, actually. He sells a lot of washed coffees, uh, very clean coffees, very sweet coffees. Uh, they're also quite, I would say, generic in flavor. They have a lot of chocolate flavor and this kind of, Nothing wild, mm -hmm. but very kind of nice, solid coffees. And um, he's able to get, you know, four, between three and four dollars per pound for those coffees in a big quantity. Mm -hmm. And then he has clients asking, you know, can you do naturals and stuff like that? And then he would spend a lot of time and energy doing, uh, you know, let's say a hundred bags of that. And then uh, the client ends up not buying it because he didn't uh. fill the criteria. And then uh, he, he's stuck with these coffees that nobody wants to buy, not even the commercial market because they don't want fermented coffees. Yeah. So that's kind of uh, two examples where I think encouraging farmers to try it, it's great, especially if they have a buyer who is willing commit to commit. But mm -hmm. also, I think, you know, you, you can, you as an importer can probably find a market for most of these coffees. Um, well, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, in this specific case, the Caballeros reached out to us after their uh, customer um, canceled their order and then uh, we took it for them. So we brought it, uh, it was 200 bags or something. Yeah, like wow, that. yeah. And but you do sell a lot of their naturals or buy a lot of their naturals, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a little, little bit of a mix. Uh, more and more because we see the demand growing. So yeah. then, uh, but uh, like you said, like, yeah, that's for us. That's the base. Like, that's the problem with a lot of these experiments, where it gets dangerous because it's it's not okay to go to a producer and uh, ask him to do this uh, weird stuff for, uh, and then uh, oh yeah, sorry, this is uh, tasting uh, uh, more like dill and less like peaches, yeah. and then <laughs> not take his coffee, and then it's like you, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. You're like. You have no idea what's going on in the um, on the farm, and that's yeah, that's where sometimes like uh, producers like to work with new stuff as well, and are excited to try new stuff. So they're following this trend, thinking that uh, yeah, with the same respect, but yeah, maybe it's it's better to sometimes it's better to stick with your with your importer or yeah. your exporter or whatever <coughs> to because they 
if they're good people, they will stand by their words and like we pre-contract our, our coffees and there's a lot of uh, good importers out there who are uh, um, pre-contracting their coffees and yeah, to, to, to cancel it afterward. Of course, it's like if, if, they, if they fucked up, you know, if they did something really horrible, you can still talk about it. Yeah. Um, and it has to be like we have certain kind of quality limits and a lot of measurements and making sure that we hold them to it. But like if they yeah, we pre-contract it uh, based on saying like, oh, can you try this new thing which you've never done before or is your second year or whatever? We need to pre-contact those coffees and we need to buy them. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And if you then back out, wow. Yeah, yeah that's not great. Yeah. <laughs> but I also think you know, uh, I I have a lot of uh, followers on Instagram and a lot of them are actually farmers. Um, mm -hmm. And um, they might be encouraged, you know, to try stuff that they don't necessarily have extreme knowledge or good knowledge about how to do properly or so uh, I'm just imagining and this is not a concrete example that I have but I'm just imagining in Colombia for instance where uh, the Colombian Coffee Federation kind of has a purchase guarantee for the coffee so whatever, whatever you produce it will be sold but uh, it's a matter of price you know mm -hmm. so having been to a lot of these cooperatives and purchasing points I know that they're very uh, the buyers don't like ferment like the, the the coppers in these buying facilities they don't like mm -hmm. ferment flavor so if a farmer was to kind of make something anaerobic uh, or wild and then try to kind of bring that to the market and nobody there's no customers or they they can't reach the customers mm -hmm. um, then the other alternative is to bring it to the marketplace which would be a purchasing point in in the local town and i i can almost guarantee that that coffee will get you know a fraction of the price of the market price so that means you probably spend more energy producing that coffee mm. and then you end up maybe getting one tenth of the price because the the copper in that facility will just say this is over ferment you know yeah. we, we're not going to pay for it yeah and that's why it's important with these new things that you uh i mean there's also a responsibility for the producer yeah to make sure that they do their um research and you have you have a lot of producers who just think oh it's hip and it's uh, my neighbor gets a lot of money for it so i'm gonna do it and then uh, see what happens yeah and then they yeah they lose a lot of money but that's yeah, i mean it, that's running business right it's like it's it's yeah, shitty some, to some say. risk you have to say yeah uh, it's the same in in uh in rwanda where even naturals like uh, standard naturals were not allowed for a long time and mm. only now recently over the years has been more and more accepted and you like like you said you have the governmental um, organ that is uh, overseeing this and testing whether the quality is right and the um, i guess the um, the core principle is to protect the, the coffee industry in that country to make sure that they only produce uh high quality coffees yeah. which is good in a sense but of course anything that is drawn by the government will always be uh <laughs> behind the curve or so uh, yeah, these coppers will be schooled according to uh, rules that have been made a long time ago or a yeah. vision that has been made a long time ago. So it's going to take a while for that to change. But also in Rwanda, now it's okay. Yeah. Now it's more and more accepted. But in I think it's still the case, or at least it was last year, where um, I was buying Rwandan naturals and they have to specifically show that they're already pre-contracted. Mm. 
to the government they yeah. have to show a contract hey listen my naturals are already sold yeah and that then they're allowed to produce naturals yeah, that's a good way to do it but i i think you know what i'm kind of trying to say is that it's not as simple as just putting cherries into a plastic bag mm. and then expect 40 dollars per pound you know it's no. there's much more to it than that and uh I'm, I, w- I would never encourage anyone to do it unless they want to take the risk or have a buyer that is willing to pay for it. Like, I would be devastated if uh, Marisa Bella Moises did all their coffees like that because that means I would not be able to buy coffee anymore mm-hmm. from them because I don't like those coffees. Mm-hmm. Which brings me into the next topic. Can you explain why you love those coffees? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah, but I mean... Uh, first off, I, I also love, like, I love coffees with character. Yeah. So as long as they have a defined character and they're, whether that's super clean and very floral, like, I mean, Ethiopians are always going to be one of my favorites for sure. Um, the reason why I love naturals though, or like these funky anaerobics or because first of all, they do something new. Um, and second of all, you can, it's, it's kind of like this. You have this English saying that you say like uh, it's uh, easy to start but hard to master. Mm. It's the same with anaerobics. It's like it's very easy to do, kind of, but in like uh, in order to master it, you have to um, get some skills. And you and you see that development going quite rapidly. Where you have these very defined uh, flavors, flavors that you don't have in in washed coffees, uh, or like the extreme version of it. It's it's I, I told you in the hallway when you asked me for this fermentation that that to me it's like an anaerobic is kind of like the the blue cheese of cheeses. It's like some people are always gonna absolutely hate it and that's fine, and some people are absolutely gonna love it. And within the blue cheeses, you have disgusting ones, mm. but you also have super refined and beautiful ones with different uh, mold uh, strains or whatever. And yeah, so for me, the the experiments are. I love them because they do something differently. You have flavors that you n- don't necessarily taste in anything else before, uh, especially like coffee has developed so much in the last 20 uh, years. And um, we all have this idea of, uh, of what a coffee should be or how it's clean or what is a defect or uh, what, should, what should we be able to sell or what should we be able to prove. Uh, and I love when stuff just gets broken down and yeah. just like, uh, let's <coughs> just relook at the entire thing again and see why are we thinking this way? Why are we wanting this coffee to taste like this? And it's also interesting that everyone always says like, um, a washed coffee tastes like uh, terroir or, uh, but maybe it does. But in a sense, it's also taking away the uh, terroir because the cherry is also part of the terroir. So, yeah, it's uh, kind of uh, interesting. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of uh, defects, before I go to the opposite side, Mm because I think it's still nice to have uh, both views. Um, You mentioned defects. Mm -hmm. So if, if... if you get one uh, like stinker bean, they call it in uh, washed coffee, mm-hmm. that means a coffee bean that is uh, normally uh, over fermented in some way. Or if you get one of those in a in a batch of uh, washed coffee and mm-hmm. you you cup that coffee, you would call it a defect. Yeah. This is over fermented, mm-hmm. you know. But if a hundred percent of those beans 
are over fermented, then you love it. Suddenly. Mm. Yes. So then it's not a defect anymore mm -hmm. because then all of the coffee is the same. Yeah. Uh, we so I guess that's that for me is kind of defining a defect uh, today more than like before. I I would agree that you know a stinker bean is a stinker bean, but a defect is something that makes one cup different from the others. Mm -hmm. um, and it can happen in the roast. It can even happen in brewing. You know, mm -hmm. um, if you have like let's say you make ten cups or ten aeropresses and one of the aeropresses was really dirty, mm -hmm. that's a defect for me. Yeah, it's just happening in different parts of the. Of the the chain, and I, I guess in an anaerobic uh, coffee, you can still have defects. Mm -hmm. For sure, but uh, I'm, I, I think it's just such a new discipline that we don't really know what it is yet. No, exactly, and I think like uh, it reminds me of a pea berry. There used to be defects. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it all like all depends like on the on the evolution of people's palates and what they what they accept mm -hmm. and. Again, this comes back to the rethinking everything. Why is a sour bean a sour bean? But I think, in a sense, it makes complete uh, sense <laughs> that uh, a sour bean is a defect in a washed coffee because what you aim for in a washed coffee is completely different what you aim for in an anaerobic or a natural. Yeah. So in a washed coffee, you want cleanliness, you want uh, purity, you want transparency, you want uh, structure, whatever. And a sour, sour bean is completely ruining that and yeah. maybe like the first uh part of the palate that you're tasting is very clean and suddenly that sour bean taste comes up yeah and then of course the balance is completely off yeah but if you suddenly have your uh like only sour beans or whatever and you would only focus on that taste without the aim of being uh, clean maybe it can be something great mm. i think maybe uh uh, one of the reasons why these coffees are so popular ha is for sure because the barista competitions have been mm -hmm. kind of not promoting them, but the baristas competing in the competitions have been using them a lot. Yeah. And I think the reason for that is because it's very easy to explain what they taste like because mm -hmm. they're so full on with mm -hmm. one flavor. You know, if you have a some washed coffees can be very difficult to describe properly, and a big part of the competition where you get a lot of points is if you describe mm -hmm. it well. Yeah. So I actually suggested once to a competitor that, you know, why don't you just overly roast a Robusta or a Monsoon Malabar or something like really roasted, really mm -hmm. dark. And then just name asphalt. <laughs> yeah, I, it's going to be really <laughs> easy to describe, you mm -hmm. know. It tastes like charcoal. Or mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. and then, but then you have the quality aspect as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a different thing. But I'll, I'll tell you why I, I, I would say uh, I'm skeptic to anaerobic uh, coffees. Mm -hmm. And that's just probably just because I want a different thing when I taste coffee. And um, you say it's easy to like. For me, it's easy to dislike mm -hmm. uh, the fermented flavors. And it's just because I've tasted that flavor so many times before. And for me, like you mentioned, terroir, um, whatever that means, um, I believe it kind of uh, covers up the flavors of the actual coffee uh, mm -hmm. a lot. And and I do think, um, I do understand why people started with getting more into naturals and honeys because a lot of times coffee is disappointing, you know? Mm -hmm. It doesn't taste great. It doesn't taste distinct. It doesn't have a, like a very characteristic flavor. It just tastes like coffee, you know? And mm -hmm. probably the most common word that I use for describing coffee is chocolate. 
Because, mm. you know, that's what it tastes like. Aye. Or I could just write coffee, you know, it tastes like coffee. Mm. So I do understand, like, when the demand for more special coffees uh, rose uh, and is still rising, I do understand that producers have to do take measures in order to get these coffees out. And one of the things is to flavor them. Um, like in the 80s and 90s, Starbucks mm. was flavoring with, or they still are, they're flavoring with caramel syrup and uh -huh. strawberry syrup, but they're doing it in the drink. Well, now the farmers are kind of flavoring the coffees with processes. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's just for me, as a, when I'm drinking coffee, it's not a flavor that I desire. Mm -hmm. I think uh, a ferment flavor in Ethiopia is almost the same as the ferment flavor in in uh, Brazil. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that the coffee cherry is also part of the terroir, but a coffee cherry doesn't taste like an anaerobic coffee. Like I've never tasted a coffee cherry that tastes like that, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah, you can have some very fruity coffee cherries, but um, for me, it, it, it's a completely different flavor. Um, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, it's just what I prefer when mm -hmm. I drink the coffee. It's I want to taste uh, the variety more and uh, cleanliness. Like I really want clean, sweet, uh, structured uh, coffees. I love fruit flavor, but I'd like it to come more from, you know, is it an SL28 or a geisha or rather than being fermented for 24 or 36 hours. Mm -hmm. It's a different way of uh, thinking. Having said that, I also actually appreciate a good natural processed Ethiopian coffee, for instance. It's part of their tradition. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of their terroir, you can say. And um, if if it's not overpowering or you can still kind of taste uh, the floral notes from the actual coffee, which you obviously don't have in a Brazilian natural processed mm -hmm. in the same way, then uh, I can appreciate it. So, yeah, that's why yeah. I'm skeptic. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I mean, uh, I love them, but I'm also highly skeptical. Yeah. Like, uh, I think it's, it's good to have a balance, but... Um, no, I completely agree. There, there is this dilemma, you know, where you're like, you have a beautiful product, tastes amazing, but it's sort of covering up the, so you're kind of being like, um, not a snob, but like a purist yeah. in, in a sense. And, uh, which is great. And, um, because it is good to protect, uh, authenticity of a country and of an origin specific flavor profile. Um, so yeah, for me, it's the same. It's like, it's a, it's a dilemma. Like, mm. uh, I, I don't, the last thing I want to do is that we are going more to, we are going more towards uh, a wine uh, industry where uh, eventually there will be labs, whatever, with uh, yeast strains and uh, yeah. which they're already developing, uh, f specifically for coffee to just hide everything. Yeah. Um, but if we want to protect the authenticity of coffee, we have to pay for it. Yeah. And I think, you know, a, a big part of the problem is varieties are disappearing and mm -hmm. uh, there's not a lot of diversity in variety um, in coffee varieties well there is but most of them are in Ethiopia and outside of Ethiopia there is not a lot of diversity in in terms of variety and most of them are prone to get diseases uh, like leaf rust mm -hmm. so farmers are replacing them with hybrids it's getting more and more uniform in, in kind of which yeah. is kind of the opposite of what we should do, I mm. think. Uh, I think hybrids are great and all that, but um, I think if we could focus even more on varieties, which the industry is doing, so I'm not concerned about it, but um, 
I think uh, finding the right variety for the farm mm -hmm. is a work that takes a long time yeah. and uh, could create you know, fantastic flavors. And a good example is you also mentioned that some of these flavors you can't find in washed coffees. Mm -hmm. Well, I've experienced that I can find some of those flavors in washed coffees, if given that you have a strange variety in the right mm -hmm. place, you know? Mm -hmm. So uh, on Finca Tamana, for instance, we've had now two harvests from, I think it's like 10 trees in, in, in the middle of the farm that we don't really know what it is, but mm -hmm. it is a variety that uh, we got the seeds from someone and then we just planted them and it was not very systematical, but they are distinctly different mm -hmm. in morphology. Mm -hmm. And when we cupped the coffees the first time, we thought there, there must be something wrong here because it, it tastes like, you know, this kind of fake candy flavor. It's really, really strange. And then uh, I asked Elias to, to, to pick it again and process it well and just make sure it's very, very clean and, mm -hmm. and dried properly and the same flavor. Like, cool. And I actually gave the samples to, to Nordic. Mm -hmm. You cupped it, I think, a couple of months ago. And when I looked at the notes, it said like ar artificial fruit, you know, it's strange flavors. Yeah. <laughs> and um, normally you would think this is a over-processed coffee, but, mm -hmm. but it was the opposite. Like I, I knew they took care cool. of it this time. So uh. I think it can happen, but it's, it's so rare that you get these kind of really weird flavors. Mm -hmm. And I actually love that coffee, not just because it was washed, but it was so different, you know, it really was a coffee that, blew my mind in mm. like wow can coffee really taste like this uh, and I know it can with fermentation but with the washed coffee I didn't believe you could get that kind of intensity and, mm. and profile yeah but that here I think is the actually in your defense of uh, washed coffees I think here lies the beauty also about fermentation because big problem is uh, like even more so than asking producers to to go with a hype and uh, uh, ferment something one year. Even worse is asking them to remove half of their trees <laughs> and add a different variety. Definitely. And then in four, five, six years, you know, they <laughs> your farm, uh, five, six years down the line, they finally have their uh, first good results. And then they ended up making the, the bad decision. And yep. then you have to do it all over again. Yeah. So now you can create those flavors. And I get what you're saying. I'm also kind of a purist in some ways, where I like, I love, I love authenticity of of a of a origin. I hope that never disappears. I don't think it ever will disappear because I think now it's just a, a trend where you see more and more uh, anaerobics, more um, fermentations, and I think people will also go back to washed again, and it will yeah. just find its place in the market, and you will just have a more diverse menu. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's great if we can find more of those varieties that have that weird uh, taste, and hopefully they will do well against rust and all this sort of stuff. But um, yeah, in the meantime, yeah, for me it's like it's a positive because you, you don't have to ask them to, uh, to 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 plant different trees. Yeah, and it's another tool in the toolbox, I guess. Mm. And uh, I I mean, like for Hilberto, it was fantastic. You know, mm. I mean, he was really able to to profit on on different processes. Mm -hmm. uh, I agree, like developing a new variety on a farm, for us, at least the way we do it, we normally would take a handful of seeds, plant them, 
and wait, you know, three, four years before they actually trees grow up and give some fruit. Mm -hmm. Then you can pick it once or twice. No, normally the first picking doesn't really taste great anyway. Mm -hmm. and the second, then you start getting an idea and maybe on the third year, then you can start deciding, okay, these trees are looking great. They're producing a good coffee. We can plant more. You take those seeds, plant another uh, batch of them and then after like eight to ten years, that's when you have a solid production of something. Yeah. And if you do that wrong, you know, it's yeah. devastating. But how cool would it be that you can, uh, it's it kind of feels like cheating, you know, but how cool would it be, like for you, maybe it's not uh, the highest priority, getting the most value out of the first batches of coffee. But for a lot of farmers, they don't have that luxury. Of course, it's costing you a lot of money, so you want to, to do well. But for a lot of farmers, they don't have that luxury. What if they could uh, set aside 30% of their first couple of uh, harvests, yeah. uh, testing it and making sure that the wash protocols are, are, are good and that the varieties are doing well, get the right uh, nutrition in the soil and uh, everything. But then still diversify uh, and get more money because you can 70, the other 70% of the, of the production, you, you ferment, you do a little bit of extra work, you ferment it and you get a much higher price because you get, you gain two or three, uh, copic scores. Yeah. For some. For some. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. For some. Uh, yeah. For the right market, it would g go up in price. For mm. me, it would be the opposite almost. Mm. Um, so, I mean, diversifying is probably the key word here. Um, I forgot what I was supposed to say, but uh, <laughs> we can move on. Um, so um, because this is quite a new thing, uh, I'm not experienced enough to kind of tell a good anaerobic processed coffee, whatever that means, from another. Mm -hmm. um, like what, what do you look for when you cup and buy these coffees? What, what's like, what <laughs> if you can use the word clean, Mm -hmm. But what is a uh, kind of a, a well-processed, uh, funky coffee, whatever mm -hmm. that means? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is so funny because this is like the, the the discussions we've had the last two years at Nordic. You yeah. know, it's like you get these weird coffees. How do you describe that? And I, I think it's kind of similar as uh, putting a Brazil and Ethiopian washed on the same table. Yeah. Of course, you're gonna hate the Brazils after uh, tasting an '88 uh, Ethiopia. Like, yeah. what is the uh, what is this other shit? But um, yeah, so I think it's the, it's the same. You, you just have to classify or have categories. That's actually what we're uh, building now more and more in as a protocol where you have these, what you mentioned earlier, you have these super boozy uh, coffees and uh, or you have the very floral, clean uh, anaerobics. And there's a bunch of other categories that we use. But um, yeah, and then... Of course, for us, it's it's necessary to to actually get uh, get information on can we sell enough of this boozy or can we sell enough florals or um, so then we have to buy uh, depending on that. But mm, I lost track of what I wanted to say. But uh, so I was asking, uh, what are you actually looking for when you buy them? Like, what kind of yeah? Oh yeah, yeah. So how do you tell a good from a bad? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. So. I mean, in the sense, it's, it's like it, it's when it comes down to it, it's quite simple. If you hate it, it's it's uh, it's uh, uh, and then you have the opinion with anaerobics. Your opinion always comes up, and with naturals in general, actually, uh, funky coffees because 
some people hate it some people love it so sometimes we i will score it higher and maybe one of my colleagues will score it higher and then the other ones will absolutely hate it yeah but we would still buy that coffee because if we make a case for it and this is maybe where your question comes in is like i look not just for um whether coffee is clean in the in the sense that a wash is clean but also is it does is it maybe refined is a better um word where like if you if you don't like sweet stuff you can still get a dessert that's extremely sweet and taste wait this is actually this quality behind this. this is well done even though it's super sweet or like a, a dessert wine or something you know like if you expect an uh 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 a clean um white wine and you get a dessert wine you're like whoa yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is not good you know this is uh, uh too much sugar and uh, some defects or something probably but um i think the same goes for anaerobics where you just have to completely throw every all the rules away that you were used to and um yeah so for me it is still about the same basics is there structure is there sweetness is there uh, clear notes is there fruits or maybe there's not a lot of clear notes but the the overall is very balanced mm. or the uh, there's a, just a harmony of fruit and florals and sweetness and or maybe the acidity does something crazy and is like uh, is in itself already a tasting note just the whole acidity and it's lacking everything else but the acidity is in such a balance with the structure and sweetness that it does something in your mouth that is like wow it's kind of smooth or it does something else than than normal but it needs yeah. to be consistent yeah it yeah. needs to be consistent that's the that's the key yeah because uh, i have a lot of coffees that we taste uh, experiments that when uh, in the nose smell great or whatever when dry aroma and and you taste them and they taste like nothing yeah or the f when they're warm they taste incredible and then five minutes after when you're coming back to cup again and then tastes completely screwed up like the whole balance is gone then we're like ah. first of all it's usually a sign that that it's maybe it's not gonna age very well mm. um and it just doesn't hold up very well it, it needs to hold up yeah. yeah and i think that's the key i think you know in i i don't cup a lot of these coffees because i i don't really like to do it although i try to when i some people give me a sample but um just to kind of know what it is but um when I cup for naturals, for instance, for in, in Ethiopia, I buy naturals. Um, I think uh, the, the what what I've kind of uh, been curious about is uh, I can I can cup a coffee uh, that is is clearly full of Quakers, for instance. Mm -hmm. And Quakers is this kind of lighter beans that doesn't get roasted as well, mm -hmm. either because they're unripe or lack mm -hmm. of nutrition or something. Uh, so they taste like, uh, you know, cereal or, or popcorn or mm -hmm. you know, nuts. Um, and it's very, very strong flavor. And I've cup coffees, naturals tend to have more of this, mm -hmm. uh, I think, than washed. Because with washed, you can sort it out with the water and gravity. Mm -hmm. So uh, when, when cupping these coffees, and then I have other coppers standing next to me and say, oh, this is amazing. It's so clean. And for me, that's like the opposite of what clean is. Yeah. Um, so at least for me, when I, I taste the natural, uh, yes, I expect ferment flavor, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, uh, but I, I want it to be undisturbed, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's kind of what I think I struggle with with the anaerobics is that you have all these kind of strange flavors like yogurt and 
mm-hmm. and you know it can be sometimes mold uh, mm-hmm. like in a weak way it can also be like you say blue cheese i i don't know if that des- is desirable for people it can be you know pineapple it can be yeah rum all these kind of things but i guess if it's a, if if it, if it gives you a kind of a pleasant uh, experience um and it's consistent among cups yeah. I, I guess you could call it clean or i, I i'm i'm just confused yeah. about these uh, anaerobics but yeah with, uh, with you many people and uh and myself included sometimes but uh i think a good example we have a, a japanese colleague and uh so here like because you mentioned experience so experience is based on your experience of now is is based on the experience of whatever you you used to yeah what do you what you've tasted um, and her experience coming from Japan, she's tasting uh, completely has a different palate than us. Very interesting, because she's tasting, uh, she's making miso at home and all this stuff. Uh, so she sometimes tastes like anaerobics, uh, especially our funky Indonesians, which I absolutely love. And then um, uh, she likes some of them, but like a couple of them are tasting like pure miso, and then she's just like, "Wow, this is disgusting!" <laughs> you know, why would you want this in a coffee? But for some people who don't have this in their palate and don't taste this miso so often, they love it. And they're like, wow, it's crazy. Maybe it's a great substitute if you're allergic to soy. Yes. (laughs) You could use coffee instead as a miso in the soup. Mm -hmm. I guess we're never going to agree about this. uh, uh, I mean, maybe time will kind of be... Maybe there's a Q-grader program in 20 years from now Mm -hmm. uh, about anaerobic coffees. There is one for Robusta at the moment. Um, and uh, I'm, you know, I'm kind of biased, uh, not biased, I kind of, uh, what do you call it, conflicted about uh, these things, because yes, we need systems for things, but uh, it also restricts a lot of creativity, mm-hmm. I think, because yeah. if, um, fortunately now, uh, Capo Excellence has opened up for naturals and other different processes, mm-hmm. so that means it's not about uh, producing the best washed coffee anymore, it's about mm-hmm. producing the, the coffee that you know, the market wants. Mm-hmm. I think the fault in that system is that a lot of the judges still are from Asia. So it's probably the coffees that are more liked in the Asian market that is going to mm-hmm. score well. Whereas if the jury was pure Norwegian, probably it would be more washed coffees, mm-hmm. you know, scoring well. So um, uh, I guess, again, there's no right or wrong. It's just uh, maybe we, we're kind of a little confused because there's... No, not enough experience to mm-hmm. kind of define things for us. Yeah, but this is where I mean, uh, history tells us that, uh, of course, innovation is always stopped uh, by introducing rules, but it hasn't stopped uh, coffee from uh, experimenting or no. going crazy with anaerobic. So in that sense, yeah, I see. I mean, it's uh, it's. I think when you look in society or in in, in any industry in general, you always have a few crazy people starting with something until it gets accepted and uh, all the um, the government organs or the the, the companies uh, established companies or whatever are falling behind yeah um, but it's for also for good reason they they want to to maintain quality they they want to maintain what they have maybe that's in a sense quality but yeah, it's always going to be chicken and egg, you know, or what, yeah. I, what do you call it? Like a race to uh, to catch up. 
to the innovators. I think what's uh, speaking against washed coffees is the amount of water you have to use. And uh, yeah. there was, uh, I don't remember if it was last year or a couple of years ago where a lot of uh, people were burning down washing stations in Ethiopia because they were polluting the drinking water. Yeah. And the, because the washing stations were using so much water and just putting it out in the rivers mm -hmm. and where people are bathing and washing their clothes and you know collecting yeah. water to drink. So there is a... But you can mechanically wash and, and you know, like uh, Finca Tamanay in Colombia, used to probably use 80 to 100 liters per kilo mm -hmm. to wash coffee. And now he's using half a liter yeah. because he installed new machines. Mm. Yeah, it's so, crazy. Um, and the quality has um, not been affected, I think. Like the first year we saw a little, little bit more defects, mm -hmm. but um, now they kind of are used to using the machines. Mm. Right. What what I found interesting was that uh, I don't know if you follow James Hoffman, but uh, he's a little bit, he's yeah. a friend of mine, and he's also a fantastic YouTuber mm -hmm. with uh, a couple of trillion followers. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I love his. Uh, yeah, even non-coffee people uh, can um, appreciate his stuff. So yeah, that's, that's great. I think it's one of the best things hap that has happened to our industry in since I started working, except the internet. Mm -hmm. Is uh, James Hoffman being able to reach out to the public, uh -huh. you know, not yeah, just... Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. And not taking it so seriously. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Putting in some subjects that are actually... Uh, but he did uh, something called the world's biggest coffee tasting. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things he mentioned in a video after the coffee tasting was three things that he learned. And uh, one, one of it was that uh, when he, there he had a natural processed coffee on the cupping table. It, it was a blind tasting, and mm -hmm. I, I think he did a survey afterwards or something like that. And uh, I think the number is 60% of the cuppers who attended this coffee tasting loved naturals, mm -hmm. and 40% hated it. Mm -hmm. So he suggested that if you're going to run a coffee shop, for instance, and you have like the coffee of the day, mm -hmm. that when a customer comes in and just orders a coffee, that's the coffee you get. Uh -huh. It's a pretty bad idea to have a natural one. Yeah, because half of your uh, clientele is going to hate it. Yeah. yeah. Mm. What do you think the number is for an anaerobic? <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit, that's going to be a 90-10. <laughs> for sure. Uh, At least maybe now. But um, w I mean, yeah, that's that's um, probably... I'm not, not sure how many people replied to this, but it is definitely a love-hate yeah. relationship type of coffee. Uh, one of the things that really uh, awakened my interest in uh, kind of exploring roast style was actually a natural processed coffee mm -hmm. um, because it was so different. You know, it, for me, I, I tasted a, the first time I tasted a, like a really light roasted coffee was I think it was 2008 when mm -hmm. Joseph Brodsky of 90 plus came to Norway with some samples from uh, Ethiopia. Mm -hmm. And then we blind cupped his samples, and then I put my Ethiopian coffee on the table that I had roasted. And it was a cupping that was blind, and there was one coffee that I hated on the table because it was so roasty, and it was just awful. <laughs> it was and yours. It, it was my coffee. Uh -huh. And then uh, I realized, shit, we're uh, not roasting well, you know? I was not in, It was the sec uh, first year of running my company, and um, I had only been roasting for espresso mm -hmm. uh, and didn't really know how to roast you know, for filter coffee. So uh, that that's kind of how we started uh, exploring roasting lighter and lighter. But um, mm. 
So yeah, maybe 60% love it, 40% hate it, but at least you will have an experience that really triggers something. Like you, you have to take a stand to it, you know? Yeah. What the hell is this? Yeah. I hate this. Or what the hell is this? I love this. Yeah. Well, yeah, I agree with that, but it also doesn't take into account that, I mean, if you're a car manufacturer and you sell uh, sports cars, uh, probably a lot of people hate it as well, but it, it's your clientele yeah. that is specific to you that wants to, or that maybe you create, and maybe you don't, maybe you don't want all all people to to like your coffee, and you want specific, just like a restaurant. It doesn't have to be snobistic. Yeah, please don't do that. That sucks. <laughs> but um, like, be welcoming to everyone, but uh, still be true to your own nature. If you want to sell only anaerobics or whatever, do, do like fr- show showcase freaky coffees. That's great. Maybe they don't want uh, other uh, people. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I think. Yeah, but, it's it, but it's a good thing that it actually makes people think about coffee. Exactly. Yeah. Like, what, yeah. You know, Otherwise, we couldn't have this podcast. No. Yeah. And, I, and I think, it, uh, at least for me, it created curiosity. Like, why is this coffee, why is Joseph's coffee so damn good and mm. mine so bad, you know? And uh, that's when I started exploring roasting. But I think maybe for a consumer, even if they hate the coffee, uh, hopefully, let's say 5% of them ask, you know, this mm-hmm. coffee is not good. What's wrong with it? Yeah. And then they can get an explanation and maybe awaken some curiosity that coffee is not just coffee, you know. Yeah. It can be many different things and and uh, some people hate it, some people yeah. hate it. But it's, it's interesting though because uh, I'm not sure, like I haven't participated in this copying actually because like uh, 40% hate it. What I see in my markets... Uh, is that um, so a, a lot of roasters like the clean coffees, like we at Nordic also love the clean coffees. But and then they're kind of like contacting us or calling us, like, "Hey, uh, yeah, so uh, we need another uh, natural coffee, uh, super boozy. Uh, I kind of hate it. I don't want to buy it. But uh, <laughs> can you uh, recommend something? Uh, because it's always our most selling coffees." Top selling coffees, and it's so many times, especially over the last two years, that we hear this. So apparently, there's a huge demand for it from the yeah. customer side, and that's why they're buying it. It's not like it's driven by the roasters that they're buying it. Of course, the first initial is, but then the the demand by the customers is like, oh, or the the feedback by the customers is so good that they continue to buy it, and yeah. it sells more, yeah. even so much that they think like, oh shit, actually would love the, them to appreciate more clean, clean coffees or and i think it also depends a lot on the market yeah so you're like the guy in the dark alley with the yes all the fake the, watches the in big the raincoats yeah. yes. <laughs> selling selling them baby di- baby diapers <laughs> uh one uh, on another note the most accepted and enjoyed coffee at james's cupping was a washed ethiopian mm-hmm. doesn't that make you feel good <laughs> yes, <laughs> very, very. Because I would expect it to be based on uh, my just my what I would think, you know, mm-hmm. is that you know a more chocolatey, robust coffee would be the one that people would like. But it's so revealing to see that most people liked, oh, you know, a clean, yeah. probably quite citric, floral coffee from Ethiopia. But it. Here I want to uh, put a note because I, I have no idea who copped it. No, no, no. So it's like uh, 11,000 people or something. It's a lot of people. But if they're all roasters, they're already kind of biased towards Ethiopian and uh, I think there was a good mix. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea. It probably is. 
But I think, you know, uh, when I look at the numbers that I, like the type of coffees that I buy, I buy a lot of these kind of sweet uh, Central American coffees, but um, one of our biggest origins is, is Kenya. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kenyan coffees are, you know, very acidic and very fruity. And then we have customers coming in saying, when we ask them, like, what type of coffee do you like? And they say, oh, we don't like uh, high acidity. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the first thing you hear. And then uh, you serve them a cup of Kenya, which is the most acidic coffee you have. And they're like, oh, this is fantastic. Yeah. You know? <laughs> because there's some fruit and sweetness yeah. there as well. People don't know what they like. No. <laughs> and uh, I also think they confuse bitterness and acidity a lot. But that's a different discussion. Yeah. So uh, let's try to run, sum up this podcast because we're... Uh, Already an hour and something in. Great. Um, Probably because of the wine. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, we're drinking carbonic macerated wine. Yes. From Beaujolais. The famous uh, carbonic maceration region. The wine tastes like strawberries mm-hmm. and cherries. Uh huh. And I'm not sure if it's the grape or the process. I have no idea. No, <laughs> no, no idea. <laughs> but it's pretty clean and pretty nice, I think. Anyway, we'll uh anaerobic processing whatever that means make all the coffees taste the same uh i think in a broad sense yes yeah uh or at least the first first uh, uh volume that is created over the next years while people are starting to experiment and learn how to do it and then they'll start diversifying themselves. I think it's going to be the exact same thing that you saw with, with honeys or washed or normal naturals, where all naturals were the same. But little over the last years, when people have, like even Nordic didn't buy any kind of natural. We were, we were known for the extremely clean uh, palate and uh, Morten didn't want to taste any naturals. Uh, and now he, he changed because he saw the, the quality in them. And also, n- not for no reason, because the it's, n- the, it's not the case where uh, naturals magically uh, became more likable. No, they actually put more effort into yeah. what a natural is <coughs> and look. And that's also where you have to rethink everything you do. Like, okay, but it doesn't have to be bad. And maybe we can put a little bit more effort into it. Yeah. And I think the same goes for everything in the industry like the pea berries if like if you put effort into just doing this you can make a beautiful project product out of it and you see the same we starting to see the same for us now with like uh, lower grades or where an ab in kenya is tasting better than an aa in mm. uh, some cases and it's all about like how much are you willing to spend extra for to 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 put the same effort you're putting in the highest grade coffee into maybe a lower grade and lower grade maybe doesn't mean quality anymore but mm. more means just different size and maybe you can get different things out of it yeah uh, this is definitely like we started this podcast talking about how people traditionally would just put cherries on the ground mm-hmm. but uh, there's definitely a, a, a craft into making high quality consistent naturals and i think uh there's a lot of good farmers who kn- know how to produce consistently well-processed naturals mm. that are just super nice. But there's also this kind of um, a good example is Elias. He first time he produced a natural at Finca Tamala, he put you know two different dryers, but the same batch of coffee, mm. and one tasted nice, the other one tasted awful, you know, mm. because there was no control. 
no kind of uh, understanding of what's really important when mm -hmm. he processes these naturals. Today he's, uh, it's different because he has Diego, my friend uh, and barista, is uh, they're helping him a lot uh, with these processes and I have tasted it improving mm. quite a lot and cool. they're taking it more seriously because they actually have a client who wants to buy it mm -hmm. and are paying a good price for it so instead of being like a kind of byproduct mm -hmm. it's now a product that they actually take care of but it takes more resource for them to mm. to because it takes more attention actually yeah and i mean extreme example of that is cascara mm. like it's a byproduct nobody gives any kind of uh um uh, no one puts effort into it. Nobody gives a damn what happens to it. But if you start to uh, really uh, take it apart and make sure you uh, clean it according to the same uh, principles you use for wash coffee, suddenly you can make a product that uh, actually tastes good. And instead of tasting this uh, vegetable uh, water or yeah. whatever. Oh, we have a kombucha with cascara that was processed well and it tastes great. Yeah, it tastes great. Yeah. It was, wasn't that the first uh, drink you were selling in your bar outside of coffee? It's still coffee. Yeah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah true, true. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just a different part of the coffee. Ah, but anaerobics is suddenly weird, but uh, this kombucha is uh, still coffee. Yeah, it is. It's cool. just a different uh, way of <laughs> making it. <laughs> All right, so I have a, a few um, f fun questions to end off. Uh -huh. We don't have to discuss it for a long time. So anaerobic processing, you say yes. Mm -hmm. Monsoon Malabar? Uh, depends. <laughs> <laughs> if it's good, it's good. <laughs> for me, they're just the same thing. Yeah, It's a kind of man-made process to change the original product yeah. into tasting something mm -hmm. that is highly desirable in some markets yeah. and in other markets not. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I guess if someone would focus on it and put the same kind of attention on it and uh, it would bring more uh, quality, but with quality, I mean like uh, more return to the producer. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. But does that mean that I'm going to like it? No. No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have uh, one of my best friends is uh, the green buyer at Solberg. Mm -hmm. And uh, Morten at Nordic used to work at Solberg. Yes. Solberg and Hansen in Norway. Mm -hmm. They buy a lot of Monsoon Malabar. Mm -hmm. And Morten really disliked that coffee and he wanted to replace it with very clean, nice, washed Indian coffee. Yeah. yeah. This was uh, many years ago. And the market just went of ballistic. Yeah. You know? <laughs> what are you doing? Where is my Malabar? <laughs> so there is... Definitely a market for it here in Norway and probably elsewhere in the world as well. And, um, but who are we to say whether it's right or wrong? Like, I personally really dislike it, but mm -hmm. it was actually the first coffee that I tasted that really made me think, wow, yeah. this is something different. Yeah. And it was my favorite coffee when I started working in coffee. So um, it's no right or wrong here. It's just yeah. a, it's a different specialty, I guess. Mm -hmm. it may, it's special. But it's uh, maybe in my personal taste not uh, to me so special anymore <laughs> in, yeah. a, in a positive way mm. at least. Yeah, same here. You grow, you get different preferences. Um, okay. You go into a coffee shop, mm -hmm. you uh, drink a cappuccino. Uh -huh. It tastes like strawberry. Uh -huh. Is it the syrup or is it the fermentation you want to taste? 
in this case is the fermentation because it would be for me it would be more uh, true to its nature uh, and I, I don't like to uh, drink sugar and all that kind of stuff so if it's a syrup then but if it's like a I don't know if it's like a super well-produced <laughs> syrup or whatever. I, w I would not necessarily <laughs> want to. Usually you taste the difference. You get like a synthetical uh, version when you have syrup. But if, I mean, if some uh, local guy in, um, in Norway makes a beautiful syrup out of uh, wheatly fermented uh, strawberries, I would taste it. M yeah. Maybe I won't like it, but uh, I would appreciate the work. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, my first uh, instinct is uh, no, I want to taste the uh, process in this case. Yeah. yeah. So it's better if the flavor is added at the farm than at the coffee shop. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to make it more pure. <laughs> How far do you take that? I don't know. <laughs> and uh, the last one is, you know, in the when I started working in coffee, there was a thing called flavored coffee. Uh -huh. I, I still think it's a thing in the U.S., but where you could go to a shop and buy like Irish cream coffee and uh -huh. caramel coffee and the actual coffee beans would be flavored with mm -hmm. this kind of alcohol-based uh, flavoring. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> if you want to have, a, let's say, a, a pineapple-flavored coffee. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> is it better that it's flavored in the roastery or at the farm? Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, I have no idea whether it's better, oh. but uh, I wouldn't want any. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> With pineapple. I, I, I don't know. Like, it depends uh, if they taste exactly the same. Like Cinnamon, cinnamon would be a good example because yeah. you can get cinnamon flavor in this mm. anaerobic. But you can also flavor the coffee beans after roast with cinnamon flavor. Yeah, yeah. So for me, like the the deciding factor, if I want cinnamon in my co coffee, is that it's does it taste integrated into the into the cup profile? Yeah. Because I've had a lot of these coffees that 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 uh, they had this magical process, or the producers didn't want to say what they did, and you just taste it's so artificial, it's so you can pick it out right away, mm. and it usually breaks apart even more when uh the coffee cools down yeah and yeah then i would just i w would not like the coffee at all because it does i don't know it's like going into a toilet and someone has just uh pressed the 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 toilet refreshener before yeah. you uh enter you know it's just fake and it's synthetical and it tastes weird yeah uh, yeah i guess you know it's a matter of a uh, personal definition whether it's likable or not maybe mm. I actually did taste a pineapple flavor in a coffee the other day, and it was this uh, Yemenia coffee from Square Mile. They had like a small batch that they sent out. Mm -hmm. It was uh, actually, you know, it's it's <laughs> funky and wild, but yeah. it was actually quite pleasant. And uh, I think you'll enjoy it if you taste it. It's, yeah. uh, I think if it's the same coffee, the Yemen coffee that, uh, that Alec got upstairs, we cupped it. I actually really liked it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I enjoyed it as well. Oh, yeah. I, and I actually drank a couple of cups and enjoyed that as well. Mm -hmm. But um, it was definitely a different experience. Oh, yeah. um, uh, probably challenges a normal person, mm -hmm. you know, is this For really sure. coffee or not? Yeah. Like, like my father, when he tastes uh, some of my most floral and fruity coffees, he's like, this doesn't taste like coffee. Mm. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's not supposed to taste like Does this. he like it? 
can you appreciate um, it or is he more like i want my chocolate yeah he's more of a that kind of yeah. robust flavor yeah but um you know when he says this doesn't taste like coffee well it actually tastes like coffee yeah. and i very often when i have a um, training and let's say i serve a washed ethiopian mm. and people say oh this doesn't taste like coffee it tastes like tea and when you start analyzing that well Tastes like tea because I washed Ethiopian tastes like bergamot. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no tea that tastes like bergamot except flavored tea, uh-huh. which is Earl Grey. Yes. <laughs> so it's actually the tea that tastes like coffee and not the opposite. Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of a thing that I always say. No, this this is actually ah, coffee yeah. flavor. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. Whatever. Um, I think uh, we have come to an end. We will probably have to agree to disagree a little bit, but. Um, you know, uh, I think it was an enlightening conversation. We have to be a little bit open-minded, I guess, mm-hmm. about these coffees and accept that other people really love them and yeah. some people really hate them. And some people are in between and curious, I guess. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm probably more of the latter. Mm-hmm. I'm still open to tasting them. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, for me at least, uh, I'm not a fan of drinking them yet. Yeah. <laughs> but this is why I love this subject about Enrobi because it divides yeah. divides tastes and opinions. And um, I have, I think actually we agree on most parts, like uh, the the true values for the producer and all this stuff that you need to pre-contract, all the all the valuable uh, most important things. I think we agree on. Yeah. Uh, but the the beautiful thing about being a human being is that we can differ about your uh, opinion and taste. And I think that's that's what we see here, and uh, with uh, most people, where you just maybe they value the um, the work or the the complexity of a coffee, but not necessarily the actual taste that it produces. Yeah, uh, I mean the most important part I think for me is that coffee is fun. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, if we we cannot become the people who say this is wrong or right. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's fun, and. Um, it has to be a personal thing, whether it's right or wrong. Okay, you can you can argue one way or the other, but uh, let's not take the fun out of it. Mm-hmm. For sure. I 100% agree with that. It needs to remain fun. Cool. Thank you, Jamie, for joining me. No worries. My uh, pleasure. I know this Thanks was a long podcast, but uh, it's suiting. It's Christmas, so people have time to listen. Yes. And uh, we'll probably post it in a couple of days. So Cool. Yeah. Nice. Thanks for uh, the conversation. Yeah, thank you. And uh, maybe one thank last thing. Wine. Do you have a, any tips on like which roaster you could uh, recommend if you want to explore these coffees? Because some roasters are actually buying them more than others. Mm-hmm. Is there any roasters uh, that you recommend uh, where people would go and buy? Yes, for sure. It's very last minute, so a lot of people are going to hate me for forgetting them. But uh, I would say Fried Hats in Amsterdam is really good for the, these kind of coffees, uh, just because I happen to know that they buy uh, some uh, funky, uh, weird stuff from us. Um Candy Cane in Czech Republic, um, Round Hill usually focuses on uh, in the UK. Uh, usually focuses on uh, a lot of uh, washed coffees, but re- recently also bought some of my own experiments in El Salvador, um, which I think actually you should. T- I have them with me actually. Cool. If you want to taste, yeah. I will give you a sample, and uh, because they're quite clean for uh, for anaerobics. Uh, yeah, there's a bunch, but. Uh, <laughs> I think these are the three um, yeah, you should watch. Yeah. Or, uh, and if you're in Norway, Supreme Roastworks. Oh, yes. Sorry. Yeah, Supreme is like amazing at these things. Uh, uh, anyone in the US that you know of? 
Uh, I don't really work in the U.S., no. but... Um, yeah. Oh, uh, Gardelli in Italy, mm -hmm. he normally has some. Yeah, For so sure. there's quite a few roasters you could select from, yeah. depending on where you are in the world. I'm yeah. just enough about talking, people want to taste it, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> where to I, get it. And I mean the, 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 the crazy Russian. Dima. Dima, of course. Yeah, with his coffee. So he will, uh, all of the shops that he uh, provides coffee to will definitely have all the funky weird stuff in Russian. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Thank you, Jamie. Mm. Merry Thank Christmas. You. Yeah, you too, man. Thanks for all listening.